So we're talking about heaven, right? Revelation chapter 21 is all about heaven. And so I broke this up into three sections. I broke it up in verses 1 through 7, verse 8, and then 9 to the end of the chapter. 9 to the end of the chapter describes heaven and what it's going to look like and, and how it's going to come down to earth and the new heaven and new earth and all that stuff. That kind of is described a little bit in, in, in one as well. So we're going to look at this maybe from a different perspective than what we normally do, but our, our point where we're going today is Jesus settled our debts so that we set our hopes, not our hops, folks. You're looking at your bulletin right now, and you're like, oh my goodness, he put hops in there. I know. It's our, put our hopes on uh, heaven's joy. We need to, to stay on mission by telling our friends that the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. So Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7 talking about the new Jerusalem, it reads like this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth have disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from, from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the Lord... Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and he will be, there he will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you, is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life, and all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Wow. Praise God. Praise God what he's done for us. So, as I was walking through this, we actually, this lined up with my community Bible study lesson as well. We studied Revelation chapter 20 as well. And I got down there with the guys and I asked this question because I wondered for about, oh, 15 seconds until they corrected me, which was fine because that's what we're supposed to do, right? It's iron sharpening iron. It's like leather being worn and um, working together. That's the kind of friendships you want when you're studying the Bible. So I pushed this out there. I said, was God always a trying God, or did he become triune because of sin? Was he always triune, or did he become triune? Because it kind of appears in this passage that he comes back to one God again, but that is not the case, because they pointed out that Jesus, John chapter 1, Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So you have him with God, and he was God. That means he's always been triune between the Father and the Son. And when Jesus came to earth, it really showed the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit um, probably three or four different times. When the dove comes down, he's a separate entity of, of the Trinity, right? And so we have three that are in one, 
But the reason I asked this was because he's, his solution for sin involves all three parts of the Trinity. And so I wondered if it was a, a, a throwing out of this net and then and bring the net back in to bring man to God himself. That is the case, but he still keeps the separate parts of the net um, in there as two. So Jesus or God was separated from sin, so he couldn't be in the presence of sin. So God sacrificed his son as our redeemer in payment. So that's the second part of the Trinity. And the, and the Spirit is calling us to right living, which uh, Jesus released unto man after he went up to heaven. Um, during Pentecost, and he also reveals that Jesus is the way to heaven. How does he do that? I think he does that through little inklings of the heart and things today, even with unbelievers. The answer is Jesus was here before time, before creation, John chapter 1. He was chosen before he made the world to save the world. That says that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And Jesus speaks of the counselor as the one who is the counselor, or the Spirit is also mentioned in the Holy in the Old Testament, um, usually pertaining to one specific prophet or king that the Spirit of the Lord had come upon them. Here's why it's important: because if God is triune, He is love. He knew what love was before crea- He created anything, right? He knew what love was before he created anything because he knew that he was going to have to sacrifice his son to um, make creation work. Meaning God had the ability to love sacrificially because he knew he was going to have to sacrifice his son to save mankind. And I thought that was pretty powerful. That was one thing that I learned this morning, or Thursday morning in community Bible study. Um, So it brings us to point number one, our hope of heaven. Heaven and earth will disappear. Why? Because they have been corrupted by sin. God will not have that in his presence. Well, how did heaven, how was heaven corrupted by sin? Well, Satan was in heaven when he fell from heaven, right? So he sinned in heaven, introducing sin into heaven, and so therefore it needed to be made new. Adam and Eve introduced sin into uh, the earth, and we continue to um, do a good job of following up where our ancestors left off. And so we are the reasons why um, the earth needs to be made new. So sin is a serious breach of contract with the Almighty. He will not have his creation corrupted. Because if even if you allow just a little bit of sin, it is going to uh, bring in a lot of sin. He pours out his wrath on his creation because of sin and because of death. Death was introduced because of sin, right? Yet he creates a way back to God through his son by because his son died as our redeemer. He redeemed, he made the payment for our sins. Therefore, God is justified in his wrath. Now, if we look back at the passage real quick, before I go on, I wanted to point out in verse 1, the last sentence of verse 1, it says, and the sea was also gone. Now, we've talked about the sea previously in Revelation. And the sea 
according to Baruch, um, represents chaos. It represents indecision, and it represents um, variety or, or change. And at this point, the sea is gone because God's not going to change. The rules are going to stay the same. He's going to rule. He's going to be just. And everything is going to be written out so that we understand that uh, what we need to do. So chapter 19 brings in God's wrath. It finishes off God's wrath. Maybe in 20, we get to see some of the beginnings of, of, of this picture of heaven and Christ coming to rule and the end of God's wrath, really, I guess. And here we get to see his new creation. But how do we justify God's wrath? I think Romans chapter 1 through 4 do a pretty good job of, of showing us why God's wrath is just, because he can't be in the presence of sin. God's wrath brings about a path to redemption through Jesus Christ for all creation. If there were many ways to get to heaven, we would have a corrupt heaven because we would be getting there under our own merits. And the only way to purify the path to heaven is through God. And so when he sent Christ down to us, then we get to see a perfect path back to heaven through him. Does that kind of make sense? It can be a little tricky, but it's explained a little bit different that way. God was able to defeat and wipe out sin and death by opening the way for his bride through his son. Hope fulfilled. This is our longing. No more death. Revelation uh, 21, 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that exciting? Could you imagine how life would be without those things in it? I honestly, I don't know if I can. I can, I can try, but it's like trying to per, picture something that's unfathomable because I, I, I don't know. God with us. No temple because God is in our presence. God will satisfy every need. Jesus settled our debt so we could set our hopes on heaven's joy. We need to stay on mission by telling our friends the message of salvation in Christ Jesus because we want our friends to go to heaven too, right? We want to make sure they go too. So if they don't come to church to find out, then maybe we need to take church to them. We need to take them the Bible to them. Hey, will you read, read John with me? Will, will you study this during our lunch break at work? Would you? Yeah, insert here. Um, where are you going to go or you, when, you die, when you die? I always thought that was kind of a cliche Christian introduction to the gospel. But I'm like, I'm okay with cliche. Right? Because I know. I know where I'm going to go. And it's important for them to know that too. And they need to think about those things. I need to think about those things for them. Revelation 21.8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, 
idol worshipers, and all liars. Their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is our warning. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make, and we need to choose him. What do we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? What do we have in chapters 2 and 3? We have the seven churches, if you recall, right? So we have this letter that's been written to the churches. Christ gives us seven different churches of examples of how they need to keep going and endure, how they need to make some corrections, sometimes minor, sometimes major. Depends what key they want to sing in, maybe, huh? Just kidding. Sorry, music joke there. A bad one too, Pastor. Sheesh. <laughs> right? So depending on what they need to do, some of them were like, hey, you're, 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 you just need to endure. Keep going. You got this. Yes, you have uh, not very much worldly wealth, but you're going to do it. You can do this. I believe in you. Go. And some of them are like, I, I wish you would stop or go hard. Because if you don't, you're lukewarm, and I'm about to spew you out of my mouth, says the Lord. We don't want to be in that situation, right? And so he gives us the answers. This is how you can correct this. I give you salve for your, your longing of your heart. And these are letters that were written to the church saying it is time to clean up our act. This is not written to unbelievers, folks. When we see the the verse in Revelation chapter 3 where it says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. He is talking to churches. He's not talking down to believers. And that puts things in a little bit more perspective, that we need to hear his voice and allow him to come in. Don't shut the Lord out. Don't say, hey, this room's mine. I'm just going to take this one for my own. No, we're going to open that door too. It's ugly and disgusting in here, Lord. And he's like, it's exactly why I want to get in there. I'm going to clean that up. Well, I'll just get it dirty again. Well, I'll come back in and clean it again. And we're going to work through this. We're not going to settle for stuck. We're not going to settle for disgusting. We're going to walk through together. All right. So we see this grocery list, and we are encouraged to do what is right and move forward, clean up our act. Have we ever seen another grocery list like this? I think one of them that was recalled uh, earlier to me this week was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or whose worship idols commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. None of those were, well, but some of that describes me, right? Well, he's got an answer for that too. Paul does. He writes verse 11. says, some of you were once like that. You used to be like that. 
That's in your past. Then Jesus happened. Now what happens? But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Folks, we don't, Christ doesn't dwell in the past. He wants to know what's next. When you clean up your past by asking for forgiveness, it's a done deal. We're moving forward, right? Salvation is taking a bath. Asking for forgiveness is cleaning the hands and feet, right? We need to go back and do that many times. So many times we look at these verses and we want to say, well, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I'm not, I don't, that's not where I'm at anymore. But you and I both know that we can be there just like that, right? It's so easy for us to slip back into old patterns unless we are pursuing God and his righteousness. It's the only way we can make a good habit of change in our life is because of Jesus Christ. So we need to read verse 11 again. Some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God for his forgiveness. Does it say anything in there about Pastor Shane and how he helped you? No. Does it say anything in there about how you did that? No. It gives all credit to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as it should be. And that should be our testimony. When somebody says, well, how do you live like you do? Well, I just, I put one shoe on at a time, just like everybody else, one pant leg at a time, right? With my pants and, and things. No, because you just took the credit for that, didn't you? You humbly took the credit for it, but you took the credit for it. Says, I, I can't do it. How do you do it? I can't. I think of Daniel. I think of Joseph. I think of um, those two come to mind right away. Jeremiah a little bit. How, I had this dream. What was this dream about? Tell me what this dream is about. We can't tell you what that dream is about. We don't know. I don't even know. And Joseph and Daniel both come up and say, we can't tell you the dream. Was that a wise opening sentence? <laughs> Both of them were threatened. I know Daniel was threatened with death. He says, but God Almighty, he can tell you what your dream is in Daniel's case is and tell you what it means. In Joseph's case, it was just he can tell you what it means. Right? That's pretty amazing. They gave credit to God. And when you can do that in the small things of your salvation... And small things of forgiveness, then you can do that in big things when we get an opportunity for a bigger audience. If you ever wonder why sometimes you're not getting a bigger audience, because sometimes maybe you're stealing that glory from the Lord. Maybe it's sometimes that you're not giving him enough, or you're taking too little. In any case, it's time for self-evaluation on that one, right? It's not anything that we have done to fix this. We must surrender to his power, to his way, and his way is not burdensome. His yoke is light. It is easy. It's simple. 
is what that means. It is loving. It's not complicated. It is counter to this world, and it is counter to sin nature, and that's what makes it hard. And he provides us with the strength to overcome. So if we depend on him, we can walk like Jesus walked. What? But then I look back at Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, and I see the first one listed there is coward. You have all these big, I call the big sins, right? Sexual immorality. We have uh, idolatry. Of course, those things are wrong. But being a coward? I've been afraid before. Wow, these, how is that one listed? And it's listed first. But we remember, what do we know about love? We know that perfect love casts out all fear and the punishment of sin and death. Well, where do you find that, Pastor? It's in 1 John 4, 16b through 19. I'll read it. God is love, and on all who live in love, live in God. And God lives in them, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Right? We love because he first loved. How can we love our neighbor? How can we love others? Because he first loved us. He set that example, and he has that expectation of us. So therefore, we can love others. It's pretty awesome. God also commanded us in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, to be strong and courageous. Yes, he gives it specifically to, to Joshua, but I think he, that transcends to any believer by the time you look at the, the command. It says, my, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This command the theme of this command in this verse is the most repeated command in the Bible. Did you know that? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Every time an angel comes to someone, what is the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You think of uh, um, John the Baptist, his parents, right? You think of Samson and his parents, I think he tells them once not to be afraid. It's kind of funny because they aren't really afraid. That's how far I think they've gotten away from the Lord in Samson's case that they didn't even realize what, who they were talking to and how terrified they should have been. Um, we have God with us. So we look at this like this. I'm afraid. I am having a hard time with fear. Well, what does that mean? I have to ask myself, well, who is God? Well, he's the almighty creator. He's perfect love, and we know perfect love casts out all fear, right? And what has he done? Well, there's no greater love than this, 
that man, someone would lay his life down for a friend. And that's what the Lord Christ has done for us. And he has moved both heaven and earth to be with us. When Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, God knew that he was going to have to make a new heaven and a new earth as soon as sin came into the world. So we've seen what, who God is and, and what he's done for us. So who am I? I am nothing in the, in the way that I'm going to get to salvation. I am nothing in the way I'm going to conquer this fear. But I, I am loved, right? I have a God that loves me unconditionally. And that is exciting to me because perfect love casts out all fear. And that's the only way I can get fear out of my life is with Christ's perfect love. So I ask myself, how am I supposed to live? Like I have a loving, all-powerful God who created the heavens and the earth, and he has got my back. I should be strong and and courageous, not afraid, because my God is with me. And he's with you too, right? Isn't that a promise that we have? Aren't you excited about that? No, because now I've got to face my fears. <laughs> right? That's, that's the conundrum we get in. That's the, the, the problem. Because if I truly have faith in him, now I've got to face my fears. And if I face my fears, I know he's going to help me handle my fears. But how am I going to get through this? Because... Well, that's, that's called faith, right? It's the hope that we can get to the end, that we can see the end, and that he is going to be there with us to follow through, even though I can't see him. Because Jesus settled our debt. So we have our hope set in heaven's joy. We need to stay on mission by telling our friends the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that same message, don't we? Now for the big section, Revelation 21, 9 through 27. This describes heaven. And just like we have in chapter 20, we have one of the seven angels come, right? So we see one section he shows them of 17 through 19. I'm going to show you this section, and then I'm going to show you What's going to happen afterwards? I think this is the angel kind of taking John out of his timeline and showing him a different section of time because angels and God are not bound by time, matter, and space. They're in something transcended above that that we'll find out someday. It says, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city was the city wall was broad and high, and twelve. Twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, and the name of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. And 
there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was square as wide as it was long. And in fact, its length and width and height were all 1,400 miles. Now, it says, isn't it? It's stadia in, in most Bibles. Uh, the New Living Translation brings it into that. And stadia, which is interesting, I thought, it's a Greek or Roman term um, instead of a Jewish term. So I thought that was interesting. I don't have any more to say about that, but I thought that was interesting. And then he measured the, the walls, and he found them to be 216 feet thick, according to um, the human standard used by the, the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold and as clear as glass. And the, the wall of the city was built on a foundation of stones and laid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was agate, the fourth was emerald, the fifth was onyx, the sixth was carnelian, the seventh was chrysolite, the, the eighth was beryl, the beryl, the ninth was topaz, the second was uh, chrysophras, and the eleventh was jessalin, and the twelfth was amethyst. And by the way, probably about, it's at least, I know it's over half. I think it's nine of them. That's about half, maybe. They don't even know. Um, they're written in Hebrew, and they don't, or the Greek, and they don't know what that, they are, for sure. The twelve gates were made of pearls, and each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass, and I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And that city has no need of sun or moon, and for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the, the Lamb is its light. And the nations will walk in its light, and the King of the world will enter the city on all their glory, and its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city, Nothing evil be allowed to enter, nor anything who, anyone who practices shameful idolatry, dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our last point for this morning is our Redeemer. Christ is our Redeemer. He has come to dwell with us. God has made us, given us new heavenly bodies, and therefore, our sin nature is gone. We can be in the presence of the Lord because there's no sin in us. He has destroyed the old heaven and the old earth, and he's made them new. And uh, there's a couple theories out about there with that one, but I think he takes and makes it brand new. Um, God has made his home with us, there's no more pain and suffering. There's only love. This is our hope. This is why we put our faith in Christ Jesus. 
This is why we are willing to suffer in Jesus' name. Praise God for the wealth and the splendor of heaven. We see the city that is made out of things that we value here on earth now, but there won't be any point to this because there'll be so in a, such abundance that we won't, have a, we won't lust after it because it'll be there. It'll just be. But this is not the point. The splendor of heaven is not the point. The point is we have a redeemer and he has redeemed us from our sin. He has restored us into right-mindedness and a right heart and he has given us a place that we can rejoice with him in heaven. What a place it'll be. It's kind of like, remember the story when Jesus sent out the 72, much like he did the 12, to tell them that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem? And they, they come back and they rejoice. And they say, even the demons obeyed us. And they got hung up on, wow, we healed people, everything that they did, that demons even believed us. We had such authority. They got hung up on that authority and Jesus replies back in Luke 10, verses 18 and 20. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But don't rejoice because, heaven, because evil spirits obeyed you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice because of the salvation of what God has done for you, not what you're doing for God. You can quickly make that an idol. Think of what he has done for us. Praise God, he has paid for our salvation from his wrath. He gives us a way out of his wrath. Praise Jesus because he was that payment. He is our redeemer. The best coupon you could ever have. Right? Nothing. Man. Back to the drawing board this week. John goes on to describe this cube of a city made of priceless items and elements. And if you think about the size of this city, it's 1,400 miles. So if you think to the east coast of the United States, to the center of the United States is about Dallas. Guess how many miles is, is approximately? It's 1,400 miles. 600,000 stories tall. Wow. Wow. That puts it in perspective too, doesn't it? So if you want another perspective of how big this is, if you would put corners on the moon, that's about the size we're talking here. Okay? And if you took, the, and so the moon is a sphere or close to a sphere, and if you made it a cube, that would be about the size of this kingdom that Christ is making. I don't know if that it's set on top of the earth or if it's the new earth. I don't really know. Um, but it's pretty amazing. I do know that. So he describes this. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, notice it says, there is no temple. I think John would have recognized this very quickly. And God 
and the lamb are the light and the illumination. I think that's important as well. But the fact that there is no temple is huge for John. His life revolves around the temple. Everything goes through the temple. And he would definitely have noticed its absence. The temple is no longer needed because it is centered a lot on the problem and not the solution. It's centered on sin. And if you look at the temple back in the day, when you had these people coming up to the festivals and they're going to sacrifice to the Lord, you have all those animals there, right? Well, not only do you have all those animals there and the meat that goes with it, you have all the innards and the offal that's got to be getting rid of too, right? It doesn't go away like tomorrow. The blood runs down as a stream out of that city, and it stinks, and it's disgusting, and it's gross, right? That's the smell of sin. That's the smell of death. And Christ says, I'm going to take that away. I am going to remove that, and all we have is life and life to the fullest. How do we see that life? We have God the Father in your presence. We have the Lamb, Jesus Christ the Son, being the light for your city. How are we going to pull that one off? I don't know. He's got to figure it out. Obviously, the foundation and things probably must be clear or translucent at some point. Heaven is the goal. Heaven is is our destination. Heaven is what we long for. So why are we allowed to be in heaven? Because Jesus has redeemed us. He is the salvation. This is why we have a desire to serve Jesus. Once you understand that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the reason why we get to heaven, I will have a desire in my heart to serve him. Because he made a way for us to get to heaven. And while heaven is the goal, while we are here on earth, hope takes point. Because Christ has gone before us. Christ is out there preparing a place in heaven for us. He has gone before us in death and defeated death so that we might have life. So our faith might be fulfilled. And when we get to heaven, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, because love will last forever. Will we have hope in heaven? I don't know if we will or not. I don't know if we'll need it, because we'll have fulfilled love. Will we have faith? I think we'll have faith, um, because it it is... um, Always constant, even when you're faithful all the time, you still have, God is still going to be faithful, right? So maybe it's hope fulfilled. Love will just be, and faith will intermingle. And it'll just, wow, this is what it's supposed to be like. It'll be amazing. Um, Earth shattering, obviously, because then he puts it back together. Nothing. All right, all right. Until we see heaven, hope I know. <laughs> I have to nudge a couple of you guys awake. 
Uh, hope has been at the forefront, hasn't it? Encouraging us forward. Keep moving forward. Because Jesus settled our debt. Do you understand what that means? I'm going to sin tomorrow. I'm going to wreck it out pretty good. I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. But I have that hope that I can overcome that sin even before it happens because I have a God who has conquered that sin. And so I can turn to him in my trust and say, Lord, help me tomorrow because I'm about ready to sin again. And he is faithful and he is just. He can stop me from sinning before I even get there. But if I do, if I do, he will forgive me of that unrighteousness and protect me and give me that hope that I can keep going on and I can be the, the next time if I can't get it this time. Right? He settled our debt, so we have set our hopes on heaven's joy. We need to stay on mission by telling our friends the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross. We thank you for rescuing us from this present evil age. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you and we praise you that we have found that path. Lord, I pray that we would stay on that path and we would run away from the sin that entices us, run away from the, the desire that we have in our hearts to um, pursue you. And we ask that in Jesus' name that you would strengthen us to give us that hope and remind us of that hope so we, we can walk faithfully in the love that you've given us. Lord, I pray for those that couldn't be with us today. We pray that you would watch over them, heal them. We pray that you would be with those that are home um, and out of the community of believers. We pray that you would be a strength for them and that we would pray for their swift return. Uh, so that we can fellowship with one another, and that we can know what it means to come alongside and serve one another and love on each other. Guide and direct us closer to you, Lord, and we pray that you would um, give us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us... Let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today and draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform this church into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples of Jesus ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go forth into his kingdom with his power. Amen.